Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's nice to have all of us here together. <laughs> now, uh, today we, we won't be in any passage in particular, but we've, we've had five or six sermons on the trial and on the cross and what happened there so far. So I'd, I'd like to take this morning of remembering and and this is a morning of remembering. It's a morning where we remember Christ. And I want to take the time to do one thing. So I have one objective this morning, and that is to put the cross and to put the death of Christ in its uh, appropriate setting. So we see it rightly. Right? If you take a, a gem... And you set it in a, in a twig. It's at a place. But you have the greatest gem imaginable. You'll set it in the finest and most appropriate filigrees and settings. Right? What is the setting for the cross? When we think of the death of Christ, what, what in our minds should, should be surrounding this? It's a goal this morning. And before we do... Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to grieve for the death of your beloved Son. Oh Lord, that is where we turn our eyes this morning to Calvary where your son was nailed to the tree and lifted up as the cursed one. Lord, help us to see the day rightly as we remember the price that was paid for us. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted, and they were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in the Lord. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me, and they open wide their mouths at me like a rave, raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. But it's not just a psalm of David. When he wrote those words, he 
was writing the thoughts that were on the mind of Christ while He was on the cross. If you could, if you could ask the question to the Lord, what were you thinking? What was running through your mind on that day, that afternoon? You would hear the words of Psalm 22. Words of conflict and confusion. Questions and longings between the Son and the Father. Words of abandonment. You would hear the words of one who dies alone. Similarly in Psalm 88, Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Have you ever considered what we might call the human cost of the cross? You know, we, we talk about it in, in such spiritual terms. Now, they're, they're right and they're good. They are biblical to speak about the cross this way. In, in terms of theology and in, in labels of doctrine. It's not wrong. We need to think about the cross clearly. But the risk, and surely it's on account of a fault in us, but the risk is that the cross becomes mechanical and sterile and it becomes a means to an end and that end overshadows the cross so that no one really thinks about what actually happened there. And I'm always concerned about what this day can become to us and what it means and how we think about it and how we think about the cross. I'm concerned that we get it wrong. Because Good Friday, listen, it's not a joyful celebratory day. It's not. And celebration is not appropriate on the day when the Son of God was slain, no matter how great the benefit to us was. I mean, just, I want you to think about this. There, there is a, a picture, a, a scene that I have never been able to escape from. It's from a short film I saw a long time ago called Most. And it's not actually a Christian film, but in a way, it really is a Christian film. And I want to, to place you in it this morning in the hopes that you will understand what I mean when I say and talk about the, the human cost of the cross. And if you've never seen this, this movie, let me, let me put you into it. I want you to imagine that you are the operator of a drawbridge. Drawbridge goes over a river, drawbridge for a train. And every day, you raise the gate at exactly the same time to let a ship pass through. One o'clock in the afternoon, like clockwork, before you lower it again for the train that comes with equal reliability. You take your son with you whenever you can. He is your most prized possession in the whole world. 
His mother died at birth, and it's been you and him for the last nine years. And he, he often comes with you to the bridge. He loves to wave at the people as they pass by in the train. He likes to see the trains. He knows the bridge inside and out. You think he'll make a good operator one day. But this day is different. Now, you don't know it yet, but the train is coming early and the boat's coming late. You're not paying as close attention as you should because your attentiveness has been dulled by the routine. And so you see the boat and you raise the bridge and you think to yourself, it's one o'clock. It must be. The boat comes every day at one o'clock. You know the train won't arrive for another 30 minutes. You don't hear its whistling in the distance. But your son, who you sent down to the river to play, he does. He hears the, 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 the whistle of the steam. He turns, he's waving at you, trying to get your attention, but he can't get your attention. You don't see him. So he begins to jump up and down and wave his arms over his head, and he yells louder. And you hear a muffled noise, but you assume it's just the sound of the boat. The boat's through the gate now. No hurry. Still have a half hour before the train arrives. But you don't have a half hour. You barely have a minute. And your son knows. He knows there's not much time left. And he knows that by the mechanism that lowers the bridge down in a hatch is an emergency override. He just has to reach in and pull the lever and it will lower the bridge and save all of the people on the train. And so he rushes over and he opens up the hatch. He hasn't been able to get your attention. And he reaches down. It wasn't made for children. And so he reaches further. And now you hear the sound of the train. It's close. Much too close. And so you rush over to the window and you see the smoke. It's closer than you thought. All of your, your senses are engaged by the, the rush of adrenaline that you feel. They're, they're heightened. Every second takes an eternity to pass. You see the bridge is still drawn. The bridge isn't lowered. It's going to crash. If it crashes, hundreds of people will be killed. Almost by instinct, you look at the riverbank, but your son isn't there. You look to the bridge again, and you, you see the hatch opened up where the emergency lever is. You see your son, the brave boy that he is, and he's reaching down to, to pull the emergency override. And it's too far. So he reaches and he's stretching and he's straining his hand to grab hold of the red shaft. And while he does, he falls in to the recess that holds the gears that close the bridge. If you lower the bridge now, you know what will happen. If you pull the lever to bring the bridge down, you know what will happen to your son in the gears and in the chains. If you don't, Hundreds of people on the train are going to die. There's no time. You, you don't have time to run down and grab him. Every fiber of your being wants to run down and grab him. You want to save him. Let all the people on the train die. You love your son. How could you? You take the lever in your hand. You know what has to happen. You hesitate. But you don't have time. He's still there. You look back. You hope to see him come up. He's not coming up. And every muscle in your body tenses. You squeeze your eyes shut. You pull.
pull the lever down. The drawbridge begins to close and you collapse onto the floor in a heap of wailing and tears as the train passes over the bridge across the body of your son. I want you to imagine that that terrible sacrifice is made known. People find out about it. They hear about the funeral. And they come. Some of those on the train that heard, they come. Some of them. To pay their respects. When they do, they come with shouting. And they come with hoops and hollers and smiles. And they're singing songs of joy because they're alive and your son is dead. Can they be thankful for your sacrifice? Listen, they would be monsters if they weren't thankful. But a cavalier, jocular, celebratory attitude, is that appropriate? Is that appropriate given the cost of their saving? That they would hoop and holler and slap you on the back and say, your little boy died. Is that appropriate? They would have no idea the price that was paid. They wouldn't, would they? And if they came like that, it would make you sick to your stomach. And anybody who understood even an inkling of the situation would see that happening, and it would make them sick to their stomach. And I hope you see the point I'm trying to make. The cross, and how we think of it, and how we talk about it, and how we sing of it, doesn't it demand something? Uh, a, a sober reverence? Closing of the eyes and a hanging of the head? Doesn't honor Christ or our Father when we speak casually about Calvary. It doesn't glorify His name. And it's as out of place as rejoicing at a funeral. Now, Good Friday is a day of remembering. It is a day that has written over it, lest we forget. And God, through the prophets, prophet Amos, He tells us how this day ought to be remembered. It's called the dark day in Amos 8. And it says, on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lament. And I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. And I will make it like the day of mourning for an only son. And in the end, the end of it like a bitter day. Amos 8, 9 and 10. That is what we remember. You know, of all, all of the Old Testament and all of the feasts and festivals that they had, and most of them were, all of them, when you read about what they were called to, the, the, the day of Pentecost, the festival of booze, the Passover, all of them were feasts where the people would come together and they would rejoice, but there was one day of, it's actually called a day of affliction of fasting, of remembering, consideration, and of lament. The day 
of atonement. The Day of Atonement, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. It is the atonement that we remember on Good Friday. It's not a celebration. It's not a feast. If anything, it's a day of grief as one would mourn for the loss of an only son because they really did lose their only son. And so when you think of things like atonement and substitution and sacrifice and reconciliation to God and the curse and the cross and even the Father's love, never, ever, ever forget the cost of these wonderful, terrible blessings and promises. We have a great and awful salvation. Now listen, listen, don't, don't misunderstand. Time for celebration and rejoicing comes. There is a time for songs and hoops and hollers of joy and dancing in the aisles. It comes, but not today. Today is the day to remind ourselves that as Christians, there is nothing we rejoice in that did not come to us but by the death of a dearly loved son. I want this to underlie all of your Christianity. All of it. This is what Peter calls us to. Peter tells us, you want to know how to live? You want to live appropriately as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Then put this in your mind and put it over everything you do and never forget it. Conduct yourselves in fear during your stay, your time of your stay upon the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from the futile way of life that you inherited from your forefathers. Are you thankful that you're not walking in darkness anymore? You're thankful that you didn't inherit a way of life that ends in death? One that was passed down to you by so many generations who came before? You want to know how to live in light of that? Conduct yourselves with fear during your time on the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with precious things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Fellow Christians, None of your joy and none of your hope and nothing of your salvation was free. It was costly. The blood of Christ is the currency of our redemption and it was a terrible price to pay and it was paid and paid in full by our Father who is in heaven and Christ His Son. For us, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God has raised Him from the dead you will be saved. The price was paid by God for you so that all who put their trust in Him will be saved. 
it is with joy and with grief that we remember this day. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your sacrifice would not go unregarded in this place. Lord, that nobody would be like the people on the train who go on over the death of a son and think nothing of it. And it never crosses their minds again. A price that was paid for the redemption of your people. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to remember rightly and to keep the cross in its proper place and that we would remember the death of the Son of God. Lord, dissolve our hearts in thankfulness and melt our eyes with tears. And let us have a sober joy because of what you have done. Thank you, Father. You did not have to send your Son, but you did. I pray for anyone here who does not know you, that they would put their trust in you, that they would be able to say and see the cross and say, this is the price that was paid for me. And that no longer they would run, but that they would come to you for salvation and everlasting life and forgiveness of sins and that their guilty conscience would be cleared. And if they don't have a guilty conscience, Lord, I pray that you would soften their hearts to see it. And Lord, for all of your people, I pray that the cross and the sacrifice and the blood of Christ poured out would be, Lord, would underlie everything we do as Christians. That it would humble us, make us thankful, and let us hold on to our own lives loosely, pouring them out for you and for others in our short and temporary stay on this world that is passing away. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.